Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. In the end, I began to think that reality TV is misunderstood in what it offers to us. Because very often it said, well, it's voyeurism or it's a kind of exploitation in which we like to watch people make fools of themselves, we like to watch people suffer, uh, be voted off the island, etc. I began to think that wasn't really right, and that what, what one likes in the shows and you know, what is valuable, even if not always respectable, is the possibility of judging, um, of getting to watch your, your fellow citizens, your fellow human beings, do poorly, do well, be just, be unjust, and sit back in, in one place where you're really authoritative, judge. Say that was the wrong thing to do, or, or that was right. And even with the shows, the singing contests and so forth, I find there's something quite beautiful about them um, in the sense that when they do, they speak to talents that um, everyone manifests in some way, right? You sing in the shower, whether you're good at it or not, you you would dance if you had the time or you were in the club. Um, and it makes sense to me that people would regard those kind of very ordinary practices and say, oh, my God, that, that person from, from nowhere, not from you know, the city, not from Hollywood, is a great singer or is a great dancer. The challenge and, and yet the fun of, of reality television is to see in it something like a democratic order in which you can just value the people, you know, in your neighborhood who can sing <laughs> or, or who are charismatic, who can talk or who know how to get people to get along. Have we become obsessed with total healthiness and the search for perpetual youth? Is reality TV voyeurism or empathy? And does pop music support revolution? So as philosopher, essayist and author Mark Grafe in his brilliant new collection of essays, Against Everything, published by Verso. In Against Everything, Mark Grafe writes, A lot of books tell you to do things you were supposed to do but better. This book asks about the things you're supposed to do and whether the usual wisdom is wise. Mark goes on to argue, The assessment of reality television depends first on your notion of television and second on your idea of political community. Mark takes examples from reality TV shows like American Idol, Big Brother, Judge Judy and Extreme Dating and states, the point of these shows was not just how people would be altered, but how they could be altered. So what is a possibility of change? Or are we all stuck becoming everybody else? I'm Mark Greif. I'm the author of the collection of essays Against Everything. Uh, I started writing them because I had to ask myself what I was doing with my time. What would it be to be honest with myself, to take my own life seriously? And uh, I'm the founder of a journal in New York, N Plus One, where a lot of these were published and, and a lot of the other greatest of the, the younger writers in nonfiction and fiction in the United States published. What a remarkably interesting collection of essays, Mark. Really well done on them. There's so much in it for all different types of readers. I was particularly interested in some of your stuff on liberal guilt and consumer capitalism and where we're all going. Uh, it, it certainly made for some very entertaining reading and uh, quite a reading experience. I might start off um, tonight's interview with a bit of Thoreau. Thoreau once argued that disobedience is the true foundation of liberty. Do you agree with that? Uh, I I do within limits, I suppose. The thing about Thoreau is is what he meant was um, you know to follow uh, your own drummer and and to walk a different path than other people do. 
if that's the thing that allows you to be you. I think disobedience for its own sake or a kind of willfulness isn't necessarily what he imagined. But um, yeah, I do believe figuring out precisely what you believe and, and whether the things that you do are actually yours uh, or whether they're just the things you're supposed to do that other people press upon you, that is the most important thing for, well, for a democracy and for the South. You write in your introductions that this collection of essays that you have is um, a book of critique on the things I do. And it got me thinking, does philosophy always have to be critical? It doesn't, I don't think. And obviously the goal in a way of philosophy is to reach a point where you understand what the things are that you genuinely believe. But I do think often, especially uh, in times when there are people prepared to tell you what is right and wrong, whether you want to hear them or not, there is something valuable to just saying no first, or does this really hold up under scrutiny? You know, if, if, I, if I put the whole weight of my life upon this, will it really hold me up, or, or is it actually made of rickety, uh, you know, aged wood or, or newfangled plastic rather than the real thing? You argue to wish to be against everything is to want the world to be bigger than all of it. No matter what you are supposed to do, you can prove the supposition wrong just by doing something else. Can you talk me through that? Sure. One of the themes of the the book is what it takes to become mature or what it takes to become an adult in a society that is constantly offering you the chance to to be a child forever or, or just seek immediate pleasure forever or else, in a way, to take other people's ideas of maturity, responsibility, etc., in place of figuring out ones of your own. And one of the things that I find myself thinking about when, when I think about childhood and, and what a genuine kind of moral adulthood would be is that the world as it is may not be right for us or good enough for us in some ways. The, the world we find ourselves in of politics or the day-to-day talk of the street, all of it, it, it may not actually be big enough to capture the things that are best about human beings or that, that are possible for each of us. So I think that's what I imagined with this business of being against everything. It wasn't to be a curmudgeon per se, but it was to be enough of a skeptic that you would say things as they are, are they the way they could be? Are they the way they, they should be? Um, are they the way that would allow people to kind of become as, as big or as grand or, or as powerful as they could be or as generous or as kind? So that was the thought behind it. So what you're trying to say is that it's not essentially negative to look at things critically, that it's a way of just having alternative perspectives and engaging on those alternative perspectives to see the world differently. It's not necessarily an attack on the world itself or how it, how it all evolves. Is that it? Yeah, and, and even more than that, the pressure is necessary and that there is a kind of negativism, let's say, or a saying no uh, or an initial skepticism of, do you really believe that? Or, do you really stand behind that? those words, did you just hear them on television or, or are they the words that when you utter them speak you, the true you? That kind of negativism is necessary for any real positivism or for any real positive value, I suppose, for a world that we would want to live in. That's the thought. You open against everything with a very entertaining essay on the tyranny of exercise, nutrition and healthy eating. And you've terrific images of people in dreams sweating a light and losing the rag totally. I'm just wondering, do you think we're all obsessed with self-regulation and will in that improving ourselves and forcing ourselves to try and look and be different in some way? I do a bit. I mean, I'm obsessed with it to a certain extent or else I suppose um, I'm one of those... uh 
obsessives who wishes not to be. And actually, you know, my wife and my friends would say, you're not obsessive at all. Look at you. You're a slob, you know, <laughs> eating what you want and so forth. Well, that essay was started in a way on, you know, exercise machine, on a treadmill. I was standing on the treadmill and, and uh, running along as one does. It was a cold winter's day. And suddenly I, I broke the rule against looking around and, and noticing the people who are often right next to you sweating. And I began to think, oh, my God, you know, that, that man hanging from that lat pull-down machine, he's crucified on that machine. What is he doing? He's being tortured. And I looked to the right, and I thought that that woman whose legs are just being spun around by that bicycle, what, what is she doing? And I thought, my God, they're damned. These are the damned, uh, you know, enduring the sufferings of, of hell. And I thought, well, if, if that's what I'm seeing with them, what am I doing on the treadmill? And this, of course, is not quite a philosophical thought, but I went home and said, well... I don't want to die young. I do want to, you know, accomplish all the things that come from modern medicine and modern knowledge. I actually don't know why I'm on that treadmill every day. <laughs> and, you know, since that time, uh, I guess there's been a, a long chain of reflections and, and a whole set of essays I've written just trying to say, what are the real reasons underlying the kind of attention that we pay to food and the kind of sometimes obsessive attention that we pay to our own bodies rather than, say, to other projects. Well, what about the argument of that kind of idealistic, if not very self-deluded, self-improvement, that some people feel they're bettering themselves, that they're not in some way captive to the treadmill and that that sense of betterment is for a greater purpose. It might get them a better job. They may get a pay rise if they look better. They may get a better lover or whatever it is. Or they just may sleep better at night. What about those arguments? That it's not just about one thing, that it's broadened out. Well, those arguments actually strike me as very honest. (laughs) And I suppose that's one of the things that I I hope comes through 